This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are, well, off my shelf, where you go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Austin Wong is here to talk about a sci-fi comedy and an indie romance with Galaxy Quest and Garden State. Welcome! Hi, happy to be here again. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, I know we've missed our Valentine's Day episode this year, unfortunately, by a day, literally. Well, it's basically the, the it's basically the Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> basically the Valentine's yeah. Day episode. I, yes. I think we can count it. It's our third annual Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> it's <laughs> mid-February. There's a romance <laughs> film involved. Counts. Yeah. Exactly. I just don't have those little heart candies that usually feed me when we do this. <laughs> yes, I actually do have some heart candy here. Uh, oh. My whole mouth is like, not my whole mouth, part of my mouth is quite sore because I like was eating them all day yesterday, like the cinna- the hard cinnamon. Yeah, the- <laughs> oh my god, I, I like they're so addictive and then all of a sudden my mouth is like raw. I'm like, why does my what I can't I can't talk. I can't eat anything anymore. I know. I, I know. To stop doing that. Yes. I feel that way about chips. Oh, I love chips. Eventually, when you eat I too know. many dill pickle chips, you can feel the acid just eroding <laughs> your teeth. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm definitely a sugar junkie, but get me like a good bag of like, I love barbecue and ketchup chips. That's, that's oh, yeah. my thing. Those mm. are good. I like sour cream and onion and dill pickle. Yeah. Oh, you like the... Oh. I don't even know how to describe those tastes. They're so good. Anyways, it's fine. I'm not going to try to use words to describe <laughs> things. It's not like this is a podcast where that's what people are here for. Okay. But speaking of sugar, I think both of the movies that we're dealing with today are quite high in the sugary content. Oh, they definitely are, but thoroughly enjoyable. Super enjoyable. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess we can start with Galaxy Quest. I'm going to start there because as a sci-fi nerd, as everybody knows, and the fact that I love shows like Star Trek, uh, this was all in my wheelhouse when it originally came out. And I remember seeing this movie in the theater. Uh, I actually saw it with my family. I remember that. <laughs> and there was like maybe like five other people in the theater. I was so confused. I was like, I thought this movie would be huge because it's great. And nobody but me and my brother laughed in the theater the whole time. Everybody looked confused. And I was like, I don't understand what you don't find funny about this movie. It is shocking that it didn't do very well. I actually Googled it just to like, I I remember this movie. I think I saw it in the theaters as well, even though I'm not a huge sci-fi person, but I like the cast. Like I really like Sigourney Weaver. I really Mm. like Alan Rickman. and And I remember loving the movie. I remember thinking it was so funny and I, even without being a, well, when I was a kid, I did watch Star Trek. I'm, I, it's, I, I was a fan of the original Star Trek series, yeah. um, Captain Kirk. And I recognized a lot of Captain Kirkisms in Tim Allen's character. Yeah. And I recognized, like, it's very old school Star Trek. Yeah, it's very, it's very referential to like original series Star Trek. For yes, sure, exactly. with, a, with a few little things from like Next Generation and stuff in there. But I couldn't, I was so surprised, like it was kind of a bomb when I read about it. Like mm-hmm. it didn't make that much money. Cause I, I also was thinking at the end of the movie, like it'd be great if they did a sequel. Cause like they're very well set up to do a sequel. Mm-hmm. 
um, like if the show had been revived or whatever. So they were doing more historical documents as they yeah. caught them and then have another space adventure. But I guess it's never going to happen. I mean, it's way past the point now, but. Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, with Alan Rickman gone, uh, it might be a little bit of a problem, but I guess they yeah. could like write him out of the story. I don't see that being too hard to do in this kind of format. I mean, Spock also died and they kept going. Yeah, but they restarted that whole series so they can put a different Spock in there. So that's, I don't know, it's a whole different thing. Um, that's very true. Which was, I don't know. Which kind of like I understood why they did it that way because you could never appease fanboys in any way, shape, or form if you tried to put like a continuity thing in there. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they were like, they're trying to reintroduce people who don't know all about original series to the like franchise. So they're just like, we're going to start all over again. Here you go. Yeah. And I honestly liked that first Star Trek movie with uh, Chris Pine and stuff, but the other two, uh, I don't, I don't know where they were going. I actually did like the first one too. Like I like Chris Pine. I thought it was a well cast movie. I thought it was quite exciting, but it's, I don't know. I, I, I think I definitely fell more into the Star Wars camp when it came to those two properties, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I personally, like, I know I talk a lot, like, a lot about Star Trek on this podcast, but personally, like, they're on a relatively even keel for me, like, Star Trek and Star Wars. Like, I'm a thorough fan of both of them. Right. And I always hate that you have to, like, pick a side. People are just like, Star Trek fan or Star Wars fan. I'm a a Trek Wars fan. What do you want from me? (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Um, so with Galaxy Quest, I thought it was funny. I, I actually think people could enjoy it even if they don't, if they've never seen Star Trek, because it's just, a, I think it's a very well done movie. But I thought it was funny to see Sigourney Weaver, because she's known for Ripley and being like such a macho kind of kick-ass superheroine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was funny that her character is like this busty blonde that's supposed to be like this jiggle piece, which is hilarious to see her play that. Yeah, and also her only job is to repeat the computer, which I thought was so great. It's so funny. But I thought it was good casting because, like, the real, like, the the character she plays that's the actress is actually really offended that her whole role is just her busts. And she's very, like, and that sort of sounds like Sigourney Weaver because you expect her to be smarter. And I I love the conviction she brings to the role. Like when she repeats everything the computer says and one of the people gives her shit, she goes, it's my only job, I'm going to do it. I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, like she's like, I don't want to be completely useless. I know this is stupid, but this is what I'm here to do. Let's just (laughs) let this happen, okay? Just let's not bring this up again. And it's true, like I think, personally, I think everybody was perfectly cast in this movie like i just love everybody in the role like even like alan rickman you know as the the shakespearean actor who's been reduced to like this schlock yeah and he's just like i can't what is he he's like i uh did richard the third you know (laughs) i had five i had five encore ovations like why am i here i know the existential (laughs) angst as he's looking at himself dressed up in the alien makeup. I, th- I thought that was very funny. But, you know, he does give some gravitas. And I think that, you know, it's a very fluffy movie, but um, 
you know, towards the end when like one of the aliens that's obsessed with all of them, but the one that really likes his character and mm -hmm. he's dying and he wanted to say it's been an honor. I thought Alan Rickman really pulled that off, like to sort of say his cheesy line that that character liked so much to help him ease his pain as he's dying. I thought he did a very good job. I mean, it's, it's a kind of ridiculous role, but I think he was well cast because that kind of sarcasm he wears really well. Yeah, and I think that's why the, like, all of the performances for all of the actors were so well done because they managed to, like, skirt that line of ridiculousness and, like, like acting, acting, you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of cheesy, it's kind of overdone. I mean, look at Sam, Ro Sam Rockwell's character, right? Yeah. He is a ridiculous character he's a ridiculous person but it's perfect like it's he's got that perfect line where you know he's like i died in episode 81 and you, you can feel it he's like i think i'm gonna die right now yeah. like why are you being stupid but like, this is he was my favorite character because he wasn't part of the crew he was like what do they call him crew number six Crewman crew, number six crew yeah. man number six and he was he just kind of smuggled himself on there because he thought he was going to be on the show. I, I just thought he was such a great character because he kept talking in such metaphors. I'm the guy that's going to get killed. I, I'm not part of the crew. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then his whole thing about, um, but he would, he would always worry that he's expendable, but he was always the only character that said the right thing. Like he was the smartest character. He was always actually saying, well, if you do that, we don't even, don't open the door. We don't even know if there's air out there. Or he'd say, <laughs> Like, like he was always saying what I was sort of thinking, you yeah. know? <laughs> well, I think it's because he wasn't part of the original crew. Like, so everybody who's on the crew, they fell back into their, their positions, roles. their yeah. roles, you know, where he was like, I didn't have a role. I walked on screen and then I died. I was killed by a lava monster before the first commercial. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he didn't get into that. It's not ingrained in him to act a certain way. He's yeah. like, I am just literally guy. And I am going to be here and say the things that is, that is what's going to happen. You know, and he was also so um, I just really like Sam Rockwell. I just thought it was so funny. And it, but I, I love that, like when they're all making suggestions about how to kill the rock monster that's pursuing Tim Allen. And he Sam Rockwell interrupts and goes, wait a minute. Um, do you see anything around that you can form some sort of rudimentary lathe? <laughs> That line still gets me every time I hear it. Every time. <laughs> I also appreciated that towards the end, um, Sam Rockwell's suit was unzipped all the way almost down to his navel for some reason, which I did appreciate. <laughs> You're like, I, I like seeing this little bit of skin. I'm fine with it. Mm -hmm. We're good, you know? Um, I thought Tim Allen was actually pretty good at it. And I hate Tim Allen. Like, I don't like... I've never watched his shows, but I just, his views on things that I've read and I just, I don't like the whole man's man kind of persona that he does, mm -hmm. but it worked for this character and it worked for the plot arc of this movie. Yeah, like um, I, I, I can't say I dislike Tim Allen. Like that's never been like a thing. I, I, let's put it this way. He's never been on my radar enough for me to care that much. Like which side I'm on, right? Um, whereas with this movie in particular, I'm just like, this is, he's great in this. This is, yeah. this he's is perfect. good. Yeah. He, he's a perfect cast. I think everybody, yeah, okay, actually, one thing I will say, the one piece of casting that I didn't think was perfect and I just, I found a bit perplexing was 
So one of the characters, his the 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 actor's name is supposed to be Fred Kwan. Yes. And he's supposed to play Lieutenant Chen. Yep. Clearly Asian. And they cast the person playing this character is Tony Shalhoub. Mm-hmm. Which I found weird, right? Like there's no reason that they couldn't have cast like it was it seemed to me it was a George Takai type role. Like it was like the Oh like, no, I agree, yeah. And like I don't know I mean, especially now, I mean, I don't think they could do that today because everybody's very much about cultural appropriation and Oscar so white and Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter and all these sort of you can't be someone else to play like for example, like Emma Stone got totally you know, ripped to shreds because she played someone named Wong in that movie, Aloha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and she was uh, supposed to be Asian and she references Asian, herself as Asian Stone. in the movie. Yeah. She's the whitest person on earth. <laughs> no. And then and Scarlett Johansson being cast in several roles that were supposed to be Asian as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, that I just don't, I, I mean, I'm, it's, it's like a fluffy whatever, but I, it did stand out to me just because I'm so aware of it now. Mm-hmm. Also as an Asian myself, I'm like, you know, that could have been an Asian role. Like, why? You it know, could have like, just been an Asian person. Yeah. It could have been an Asian person. Like, yeah. Tony did a good job with his deadpan, but it, not not a remarkably great job that mm-hmm. only he could have done it. Yeah. And he, I think a lot of people could have done what he did. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say about the movie, though, is that um, I am not defending their casting choice. Like, it's the movie's been made. Fine. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Tony Shalhoub did a like what he did was fine, right? But they did mention in the movie that that wasn't his real name. Like it's like a made up Hollywood name he'd given himself at some point. But I don't think they like referenced it enough for people to understand why he got the job, I guess. Because- yeah, but to me that line just sort of reeked of kind of papering over the excuse that they didn't want to hire an Asian for that role. Yeah. That's not funny enough to be a joke to justify that casting. It's just mm-hmm. like, we want him, but it's supposed to be an Asian character. Like, why don't we make it a joke that he changed his name and now he's cast in this way, but... Mm-hmm. I just yeah, didn't- or like, why didn't they just change his name? Like, it was not... Yeah. His, his ethnicity didn't have anything to do with the role he had on the show because the role he had on the show, he was just an engineer. He wasn't like, you know, they didn't point out anything. No, so like, I'm not sure why they picked that name either. Correct. It could have been any race. It was completely neutral in mm-hmm. terms of race. Yeah. Um, but anyway, whatever. It's not a big deal at this point. It's just, uh, I just noticed it. I just thought it was a weird decision. Yeah, but I, I think this is one of the problems that people are starting to really notice when it comes to films and hiring of people and all that kind of stuff. It's like you go back and the further you go back and you're watching movies and you see people with these names and these ethnicities and you're just like, but you're a white lady or you're like a white man or yeah. like whatever. And you're just like, why didn't you just hire somebody of that ethnicity, you know, yeah. or why didn't you change that person's name so this would not be an issue? It's a why script; it doesn't water. matter. Yeah, yeah. It, it's literally because no one wanted to hire Asians because they thought no one wanted to see Asians, and because no one hires Asians, there's less Asian actors. It's like a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's changing slowly now. But I mean, for sure, when this movie came out, we were not anywhere close to as enlightened as we are on the topic as we are now. But exactly. interestingly, interestingly, so. Like the cast isn't totally white because there is a black guy and there's mm-hmm. like, I think who else is there? Like, 
anyway, I mean, there is a little diversity here and there, but I mean, it's, it's largely white, but what was interesting is I was watching the movie in the middle of the afternoon and my daughter who's five and, and she's Korean, she came down and she um, was watching it with me for a bit. And she just said, how come everybody's white? Which I thought was a funny <laughs> thing to say, right? And I just, but it made me realize like when I show her shows because she has two gay dads and she's Korean. And I just, I kind of like feel like there's a lot of not cards against her or whatever, but I mean, you know, I just, there are challenges that she may have in life that, you know, a white person in a heteronormative straight couple won't have to think about. Mm -hmm. I'm always conscious that when I show her any media or read her any books that she has a healthy dose of representation, right? Like, well, I mean, she's seen all the Disney princess movies. It's not like we, she sees the normal things, but I also make sure that I try to find things that represents a lot of races. So she's seen a lot of things, any show I can find that has an Asian, especially a female Asian lead in it, I show her. So it was interesting to me that she saw some of this movie and she said, how come everybody's white? Like she noticed mm -hmm. that she wasn't represented. Well, I think that has to do with like, like our generation and anybody older than us, we have become so accustomed to having like, no representation or very little representation. And most of what we're watching is white actors. So to us, it doesn't come across as like, how come everybody's white? It's just like, no, that's just a TV show. That's just how it is, exactly. right? That's Hollywood, so we that's don't think just all white. <laughs> yeah, like, so we don't think about it um, because like now you think about the controversy with TV shows like Friends and Seinfeld, right? Where they're like, the city. it's, it's, Sex in the City. You're just like, you're in New York and you don't have a single black person on your exactly. show? Know, what are you talking shameful. about? Like, when it's you very think about The way they show New York, and like, especially Friends and Sex in the City, like those were terrible representations. Like we all embraced them. They're funny, great shows. And I loved them. Mm -hmm. But you watch them now and you do realize that it's pretty ridiculous that everyone is so lily, lily white. Yeah. And like, that's and that's the thing. Like, like one of the things I used to say to myself, I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's just the circles they run in there. There are older white women who live in New York who are socialites and they hang out with other white people. And that's actually probably pretty accurate. Yeah, but but they go but, to like a lot of bars and a lot of cafes, yeah. but and everybody in there is white. Yeah. Like that doesn't make any that part doesn't make any sense. That is correct. Know? Like they could self-select these four quite privileged, quite in some ways shallow women. It actually is quite believable that they'd hang out with each other. But mm -hmm. the fact that they're out in New York so often and there's no other races in New York is completely absurd. Um, and the one thing I did find, like, I, I will say, though, I've been a massive fan of Sex and the City, like, since it came on. I still like it, even though it was canceled several times because it it hasn't aged all that well, but I still yeah. find it funny. But um, when I, I rewatched it again somewhat recently, and I, I, I cringe at a lot of it. Like, their reaction to bisexuals is terrible. Their reaction to a lot of... Um, and the, the black characters are, are were terrible. Like yeah, the very few. The very few. Like it was all about the race. Like when Samantha she objectified the one black guy she dated because of his the size of his manhood. And then this the sister that was defending him, like was the worst kind of cliche of the angry black woman stereotype. Mm -hmm. Because she didn't have any nuance to her. She was just portrayed as this angry woman that didn't want him to date anyone that wasn't black i didn't i just didn't like it when i watched it again honestly i find that seems to be a very regular thing like 
I find a lot of shows, even shows that are meant to be forward thinking, it's just like the angry black woman. Like, um, like I know there are shows out there like Insecure, which don't do that. And I think that's great. And I love that show. And I think that show is fantastic. But I was trying to watch the TV show Woke. And the one, it's about a black guy. He's got a black roommate and it's mainly black people, except his girlfriend is white. And the one black woman he interacts with regularly is just a very stereotypical angry black woman who also happens to be a a lesbian, right? And like none none of those things matter to me, but I'm like, why does she have to be a hateful black woman? She's like, I hate men. I hate black guys who date white women. I hate the oppression of our society. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate. Everything that comes out of her mouth is I hate something pretty much. And And she's just- people's stereotypes. Exactly. And she's just angry all the time. And I'm just like, but why does she, she can be a strong black woman in a lead because she she is the um the editor of some you know uh, grassroots newspaper and she's trying to get stuff done but you can be a businesswoman you can be a person in charge without being angry and hating everything that you see is not exactly how you think it's supposed to be and i was so frustrated i had to stop watching the show yeah because i feel that way too yeah, because I was like, I like the idea of the show. I like the idea of where it's going. But every time she was on screen, I would just get upset about it because I'm like, why do they keep thinking that this is what black women are? And yeah. or even lesbians, like not all lesbians hate men. No, no, not, not at all. Anybody. Not even close. And I feel like so, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of lesbians and none, nobody's like that. And I feel like it's a terrible stereotype of lesbians as well. It is, yeah. And like I hate the mincing, lispy, male queen ugh, cliche, too. Yes, like, I mean, I hate all of the stereotypes of gay representation. It doesn't, I don't feel like that's really representation of us at all. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that bothered me about this show is like, I didn't care that the black guy was dating a white woman. What got me upset about it was the fact that he was a black man who was embarrassed about dating a white woman, but would treat her better than any black woman he met on the show. Mm. And I was just like, so you can treat her with respect, but you can't treat anybody else with respect. Right. Gotcha. You know? And I'm just like, what, what is, what are like, this show is supposed to be about waking up to the situation about black people in the U S and how, you know, they are not treated the same and how they are harassed and provoked and all that kind of stuff. And being a black person who was sort of sheltered all your life and thinking, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And then waking up to it, but you're just perpetuating stereotype after stereotype after stereotype. And I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. You know, that's too bad. I mean, yeah, I guess it's going to take a while. And and that's why we need more writers in there and like more different perspectives that you know, may not cater to what they think the audience is wanting to see. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I mean, yeah. I, sometimes I, I have to admit, like, I feel bad when I, like, review something that I haven't fully experienced. 
But if the experience is so off-putting that I can't finish it, yeah. you have done something very wrong because I have sat through some garbage, okay? <laughs> so It's fair, though, because honestly, there's so much stuff to watch right now. Like, there's no time to waste finishing an entire series if you're not enjoying it. Like, exactly. you have to be better. Like, there are so many different platforms, so many different shows on all these different platforms. Like, I, I personally feel like, I can't keep up. Like there are so many things on my list that I haven't watched yet just because there's so much. Like I, I really want to watch that show I May Destroy You that everybody has been raving about. Yeah. It, but, my, my problem with it is that it's too good and it's it's giving me like PTSD or something. So I also have to stop watching that one. Oh, really? But, yeah. The acting is really good. Uh, the story is like, it's it's harrowing in a very specific way. And I was just like, I, you are giving me, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a stressful time with the pandemic. If you don't want to deal with stress, you don't have to, mm. for sure. Yeah. And then you can watch I, Emily in Paris. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's also something I'm not going to watch. <laughs> I mean, I, my friends did talk me into watching Bridgerton. And when I finished Bridgerton, I was like, why the hell did I just watch that? Because it is such nonsense i was just like <laughs> why is this why did i a why did i watch this and it took me weeks to watch what is it like eight episodes yeah weeks okay That's, you know what i will i i'm good to hear you say it anyway <laughs> i actually watched it as well and it took i kept quitting it because i just kept saying this is so stupid i can't i can't deal with these stupid characters like the characters were so stupid yeah, i just thought were. they were like I, I i didn't like hardly any of them and mm-hmm. I just thought, these are terrible decisions. Like, I don't understand how you can't just do this. Like, you know what I mean? And there's that argument, well, if they just did that, there'd be no story. But then there's also the argument, you know, you could have an intriguing story, but just make them make smarter decisions and have actual other obstacles rather than the Or, or make their stupid decisions part of their character because their characters don't match the decisions they make half the time. Yeah, it just, I just didn't believe it. And I... I did finish it ultimately because I, I don't know why. I just, it's just because Netflix just relentlessly promotes it so much and I kept quitting it and then it would just keep coming up and I was like, ugh, I'll watch one more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, that Duke character, he's a beautiful man, but such an idiot. Like, so stupid. And like mm-hmm. the woman that he married, I also thought she was an idiot. Like, I just thought. Agreed. Yep. They were just so stupid. I, they almost deserve each other. But it just, it didn't make, I just, I don't know. I didn't really like it, but yeah, I'll probably- I didn't, I didn't like it either. I, like, honestly, the thing that made me finish it was I saw the girl on, what was I watching? I think it was Conan. And um, they were talking about like the infamous, you know, episode six. And I was like, shit, now I got to go and watch episode six. Was that the episode where they had sex on the stairs? Yeah. And I was like, well, and that's the thing. People are just like, oh, the, the show was so sexy and the show's so this. All the sex happens in the first two minutes of the first episode and episode six. That's the only place it happens. Everything else is a bunch of like, look at me, I'm in a dress, ooh la la la. You're just like, come on. <laughs> I did like the costumes. I thought they were kind of one of the best parts because they were so colorful, but yeah. I mean, I really liked Gossip Girl and you know, this is basically Gossip Girl set in Regency England. So mm-hmm. I thought I would like it, but uh, I don't know. I'll probably watch the second season just because I still believe the premise could be good if they can just 
I don't know, improve the writing or something. Yeah, I'm probably not going to watch that. I'll either. probably do it. No. <laughs> yeah, no, they have to really revamp that for me to be like, you need to watch this. because I think every season is going to focus on a different sibling. Probably. But apparently it's based on a series of books. So you can also. And that's what they the books, books. That's what the books do. Oh. Every book focuses on a different sibling. Mm-hmm. So. But. No. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I am. I am surprised I finished it. I think it partly it's because my mother-in-law started watching it, and then she really got into it. So we just ended up finishing it. Now my friends kept talking about. It. They're like, "Oh my god, this part in Bridgerton and Bridgerton is you haven't watched Bridgerton yet. You should watch Bridgerton. 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 <laughs> it's like, Fine, I'll do my own. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've uh, gone very far away from Galaxy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> don't get me don't get me wrong. I love this movie. We just got on a tangent. It's it's <laughs> like there's just so much stuff in this movie that I love. Like even like what you were saying earlier is true. Like you don't have to be a sci-fi fan to understand this movie. Um, and that that it's true. I think that's a, a credit to the writing of the the film and like how they edited it together for you to just like understand the world yeah. they're creating. Well, it's just because like you know they established very quickly that these are just actors that were in this this old show that was successful and now they're just depressed that they're doing store openings and they're going to conventions and they haven't worked in a while. I mean. And then when they actually get mistaken for real space people and zap into space, like they don't know much about sci-fi really. They don't know anything about the way anything is supposed to work. So they're, mm. you know, they're kind of like almost like a surrogate for the audience that wouldn't know what to do either. So it's, you don't really need to know anything about Star Trek to enjoy what's happening to them. Yeah. Well, but I did like that they did play a lot of fan service. Like, so all those really crazy fans that had memorized everything in that, wanted to talk to the actors about specific technical details when it was a fictional show and they were just talking about, but I thought it was really great that even though he's rude to them, cause he's like, it's just a TV show. They actually did a callback and they ended up being part of the solution because they actually knew <laughs> All the thing, how to solve yeah. the problem. <laughs> yeah, because there are definitely people in this world who have watched every single episode, have all of the plans for all the different spaceships and and like knows all the languages and, and all that kind of stuff for sure. I'm not talking about myself in any way, shape or form. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I like I don't think there's anything wrong to have an obsession. Right. As long as it's not something that is ruining your well-being you know it's like balance and whatever yeah there's there's a balance that's necessary for sure but like like i don't know there's 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 obsession and there's just like that's a little too far you know (laughs) blurring the the line between entertainment and reality right mm mm-hmm yeah, well, because they did, um, they did two documentaries on Star Trek, uh, like 10, 15 years ago, actually, maybe more. And it's called Trekkies and Trekkies 2. And it's hosted by um, uh, Tasha Yar. I don't know what the actress's real name is. I should really look that up because <laughs> I'm a horrible person. Um, and she goes around and she goes to like conventions and stuff, but uh, talks to fans that are at that intense level. You know, oh, right. so like like there there's one guy she interviews. Um, 
I forget one of them's a couple and one of them's not a couple where one of them is like he's like no I'm a part of Starfleet this is my uniform and he goes about his day in a Star Trek uniform like in the real world in the real world you know and like there are people like there's a religion like they believe in like the religion of Star Trek you know and they uh, like I know they made they made fun of this in Futurama which was the last episode I did on the podcast and but like people follow these like certain like rules like Star Trek rules and stuff and like they follow it like it's a religious state you know stuff like that and I was like see that's when obsession go like just crosses the line like there's a certain point yeah. where you're just like maybe you should pull it back a little bit yeah. uh, but like but at the same time too I mean you can also think in the way of, you know, people who are more advanced are often seen crazy until other people pick it up. But I don't want to encourage that that train of thought when it comes to Star Trek. It's a TV show. No matter how obsessed I am with it, it's still a TV show, you know? It's probably gone down a little. I mean, they haven't really had a successful Star Trek show in a while now, have they? Or is there one now? I don't even know. I mean, Picard and Discovery are out. Um, they just finished the third season, fourth season, third season of Discovery. I don't remember. It sucked, personally. <laughs> um, if you like it, yay. If you didn't like me, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then there was Picard where I have this very, like, do I like it purely because of nostalgia or did I like it because it was good, but also the last episode of the show ruined everything it built up to. So maybe I don't like it at all. And I haven't figured out what that is yet. Oh, um, so it's not happening again. Um, they are, they're supposed to be doing a second season. I'm assuming it's coming back. Um, but the thing is, is that I don't know, like, they, I find a lot of the writers on the shows, like, I don't know whose fault this is. Is, is it the writers? Is it the, the directors? Is it the, the editors? Is it like the executives, you know, being like, no, it has to be more this or more that. But they seem to have forgotten what the Star Trek universe is actually about. And what they present is more like, oh, it's shiny. Look at this thing. Oh, shine. Ah. Where if you watch a lot of like all of them, Voyager, Enterprise, Next Generation, all of it, it was a lot of it was a lot more dialogue and negotiation than shooting of things. Whereas these new series, it's all about like, here's some cool things and we're gonna blow it up. I don't I don't care. Like right. it's just that's it's just not working that well for me. That's interesting. And maybe they just think that that's what people need now. Maybe. Um yeah. I, I like I think they're trying to appeal to like a broader audience who's just like I want to watch action things not right. you know in-depth sci-fi policies like you know um I don't know they're they're doing the full like uh what's his face who directed the first Star Trek um they're doing the full J.J. Abrams, like that, you know, lots of lens flare, everything is shiny, you know, very like action oriented story second kind of thing. Well, they're probably trying to capitalize on the audience to the reboot movies, the new movies. It, I mean, it could be. But the thing is, is that these shows they're bringing in are integrated 
not in the movie universe, which is called the Kelvin universe, um, but is integrated into the original series universe. So it makes a difference. So I, I think that's also part of the reason why I'm just like, but why this complete shift in everything? And it's just, I don't know, like with Discovery too, like the first season wasn't really Star Trek, but it was pretty good sci-fi. Whereas the seasons afterwards were just like, this is bad sci-fi and bad Star Trek. Like everything, even if it wasn't Star Trek, I'd be like, this show sucks. Why is it on TV? No. You know. Well, it's, it's, I don't know. They seem to keep trying. <laughs> yeah, and I keep watching it, and that's why they keep making it. It's all my fault. I get it. <laughs> You know, but I think that's also why watching a movie like Galaxy Quest, where you see all these tropes brought forth and you're not laughing at them necessarily, you're kind of laughing with it and acknowledging how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And how like that ridiculousness makes you enjoy it just a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Well, they all seem to be aware of how ridiculous they are as a movie. Mm hmm. Can I also just take a moment to talk about how cute the Thermians were, like the alien race, the Thermians? <laughs> yeah. I thought they were so cute. And I like the way they talked and that kind of weirdly exaggerated, broken kind of, I don't know, their line readings were so strange. Like, I just thought it was really funny. And yeah. the guy that played the leader was, say, Malthazar. Yeah, Malthazar. Um, I thought he was so good at it. And it was so genuinely weirdly heartbreaking <laughs> when they told him it was all a lie because he so believed in it so fervently and his whole, why? Like, like everything he said, it was actually, I found it funny because like they were so ridiculous and the way they talked was so ridiculous, but you ended up actually really liking them and feeling mm. bad for them. Yeah, because everything they've learned is just from TV shows and and I, they, they are trying their best to emulate reactions. Yeah. And especially the scene you're talking about, I think if there was no movie before that and you just saw that one scene, you'd be like, what's up with this guy? He looks ridiculous. What is this reaction? But because of everything that comes before, you understand his mannerisms and the way he moves and why it would look so exaggerated, you know? Yeah, you totally buy it. because that's And then you buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Even like when he first gets introduced, like it's just such a tiny little moment when, when he first introduces himself and he shows up at Tim Allen's house and or whatever and Tim Allen kind of pokes him in the stomach and <laughs> he kind of leans over and goes, Whoop! It's just, <laughs> it made me laugh. I that won't translate if you haven't seen the movie, but it's just such a cute little thing, yeah. Funny little moment. I thought it was very cute. Yeah. Oh, I like I liked a lot of things about um this movie like even like even the whole just the idea of the conventions that they were at how the floors were set up how the fans moved around the floor how like the tables they were sitting at and like the different people that came up and um even like alan rickman's character where every time somebody come up they're like by grab thor's hammer he's like shut up don't yeah. say it again you know <laughs> think about all of those like Think about people like Mark Hamill. How many times has somebody said to him, Luke, I am your father or, some, or something. Yeah. And he's yeah. just like, can we stop saying this? Can yeah. we just get, I did other things, you know? Especially that character because he had the whole theater background. But mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, it was definitely very good. And my, my daughter actually ended up watching a good chunk of the movie and she thought it was really cute too. And she thought it was funny. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. It was on pretty quickly. Like, and it was, pretty lively 
Yeah, it is. A, it actually has like a very decent pace to it. There's, it's a very even like up and down and up and down and up and down, you know? So you get like quiet moments of character development and thing moving forward. Then you get like a little shooting and a little this and a little that, and then a little bit more character development or something just change. Like you can see the progression of the characters and their motives and, and like how their interaction with each other is going to change, especially the cast of the show, you know, whereas like, at first with Tim Allen's character, um, Peter, 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 Quincy, 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 Tiger, 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 which <laughs> I'm sorry, Rockwell did that amazingly. Um, <laughs> like his character, like at the beginning, it was pure animosity. Like they had towards him. They're like, you're drunk, you're late. You're not taking this seriously. You leave us out of things. You do this, you do that. I'm so sick of you, you know? And by the end, they're just like, you know, you're, you're pretty great. You're pretty great too. You but can- he made a change, right? Like he changed, he was all those things. He was a kind of a bad friend at the beginning. He was mm-hmm. not very nice, but. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like also that um, like Sigourney Weaver also realized that she could also help and do a little bit more than just repeat the computer, even mm-hmm. though her character really doesn't do that much. I was going to say, I think hers is the most underwritten character like mm-hmm. in terms of she could have done so much more like I, I was hoping for a Ripley type moment where she comes forward and you know saves the day or some part of it but she's quite not there but I mean I do like the comment she makes like like when you're away from Guy she's the one who makes all the comments of the things that make sense you yeah. know yeah. Like when they're trying to get to the center of the ship to turn off the auto distract and they're like, they're going through the chompers and she's like, why is this here? To like, was in an episode of the show. This episode was badly written. It's true. Like you're <laughs> like, why is, why is this here? This doesn't make any sense. That was actually the best scene for her in the whole thing. When they saw the chompers <laughs> and they said, he goes through and which is, well, fuck that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was that was funny. That it's was funny. so great. Yeah. I uh, love it. But should we switch over to Garden State or do you think there's more that you wanted to say? Uh, oh, I just wanted to give one small tidbit of information. Is that so at the end of the movie, uh, when the show comes back, they say after 18 years, Galaxy Quest is returning. It was the exact same thing with Star Trek. It was exactly 18 years, 1969 to 1987. 18 years, it came back. That's interesting. Boom. They totally copied that. Was that before it came back or did they just do it because that's exactly how many years it was? Were they just imitating Star Trek? I actually have no idea. But as soon as they said it in the movie, I was like, wait a second. I think that's the same difference between original series and next generation. I looked it up and it was. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's like a really nice nod. Yeah. It's to, a very nice nod. To yeah. that. Yeah. And that's uh, why I when it ended, like, because they are now doing this new series, like it would have been, if that movie had been successful, they could have had a sequel very easily because they would have a current show. Yes. And the Thermians could come back and, you know, they would be in some other kind of, yeah, they could show how they like they updated things and you know how stuff is going. And I, I assume what would happen is that um, they're 
their animosity towards like Tim Allen's character would come back again because I think he would fall back into old habits. Yeah. And that's really what would have happened. Uh, but yeah, no, I really liked it. And also baby Justin Long is still hilarious. That is Justin Long, the Brandon character. Yeah. I kept thinking, oh my God, he looks so familiar. I could not, that's hilarious. Wow, yeah. Also, also watching this, I realized I think I have a lot of movies that have Justin Long in it and I'm very confused <laughs> about these things. He was funny too. Even his delivery, his delivery of lines I thought was funny. Like even when the guy called him and he said, what's your name? He's like, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> sorry even from a young age he killed it he killed it yeah uh yeah he did such a great job yeah (laughs) yeah it's funny when you see all these movies that have people that you know like like i I think i told you before we started recording this podcast that i'd watch all these crappy movies in the middle of the week from a pandemic and um when i watched made in manhattan her son is played by tyler posey who's just a little kid in it and tyler posey went on to be like this sexy guy in teen wolf the series, which yeah. I haven't seen. I want to watch it, but um, I've seen pictures of him and whatever. And I just thought, wow, so crazy. Like he's such an angelic looking little kid. Mm-hmm. Well, but- even with this movie, there's like, there's the main cast and you recognize everybody in the main cast, fine. But there's a whole bunch of like random people that are like, that are in there that you're just like, is that, isn't that, oh my God, that's, you know, like, like, um, well, there's Max Cesar, who, who's played by Enrico Colantoni. That's Enrico like, Colantoni? Yeah. That's the dad from Veronica Mars. Yes, it is. Oh, my know? God. I did not realize that. That's I, I mean, I don't know what his real name is, but as soon as I see him, I'm like, hey, that's that guy from Veronica Mars. That that was my first thing. That's so funny. I didn't. I, I, what yeah. was the, who was the female alien? Missy Pyle. Right. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, I also realized I've watched several movies for this podcast with her in it too, because I have 51st Dates, which she's in, and she's also in um, Dodgeball. And I was just like, oh my God, it's her. She's in there as well. Then you have, um, what's his name? Who plays Dwight Schrute? Rain Wilson. He's in it. He's one of the aliens too. That's right. He's one of the aliens. Then you've got Kevin McDonald at the end, who's the announcer from uh, Kids in the Hall. Um, who else is recognized? Um, this Todd guy, Todd Giebenham. I don't know. He was in Raising Hope, and he was also in um, Malcolm in the Middle, and I believe he was also in um, Breaking Bad. I want to say mm. something else. Oh no, not Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad isn't on his list. Never mind. But I recognize he's one of those people that shows up in a lot of different things. And I recognized him as well. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of just like random faces. I'm like, I recognize that guy. I recognize that guy. Hey, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a it's it's uh, it's strange. Yeah. Well, it's talking about people like random people showing up places. We can talk about Garden State. Because that's one of those movies as well, where you see a few people that you just I like just genuinely forgot we're in there. Um, but I still like this movie. Yeah. I, so I probably have not watched this movie since it came out. Um, really? Yeah. And I mean, when I saw it, I remember really liking it. 
and the soundtrack was like a big deal. And mm. uh, I really liked the soundtrack. And actually, I'd mentioned to a couple of friends that I was rewatching this movie for a podcast. And the first comment was, greatest soundtrack of all time. Like everybody was going on and on about the soundtrack. I think like, I, I Googled it and the soundtrack won a Grammy Award. Like yeah. it was actually. It is, it, it is a very awesome soundtrack. I, w- I wouldn't say the greatest soundtrack of all time, but it's, 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 in, it's, in the, it's above 50. I'll, I'll put it in there. <laughs> I would say the greatest soundtrack of all time is The Bodyguard. <laughs> 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 Gotta have my Whitney. But you got it, this, yes. This one is very good, and I, I did listen to it today, and it really took me back. Like, it's very much of the time period. All mm-hmm. the music, like, you just feel transported. It's a very good soundtrack. It is, yeah. Every time one of the songs started, which both had me distracted and also into the movie at the same time, as soon as like the first three notes of a song came on, I was just like, I was like, you know, bouncing my head back and forth. I'm like, oh, it's this song. I like this song. You know, we're singing along with it, like lots of massive attack and like Coldplay and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh, I know all of the words to all of these. Why is this? Well, do you know what? Like, I mean, I was looking at some of the trivia about this movie as well after I watched it. And one of the things that Zach Braff did when he was trying to get financing for the movie and trying to get uh, casting for the movie is he actually put together a soundtrack. Like, I mean, before obviously it was made. So before he had rights to anything mm-hmm. and he already had put together like the soundtrack and had all these songs and sent it out with the script so that people would get the vibe. Oh, so okay. he wrote this movie basically with songs in mind or like he, he had a very specific vision and mood mm-hmm. and the songs are a really big part of that. So I think that's why, I mean, it was very, um, organic in, in the sense that the songs became such a big deal and such a big part of the movie because he felt that way too. They weren't like an afterthought at, at all. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like a music supervisor was hired and people said, yeah, that works. It was very much thought out by him. Built into it. Yeah. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah. It really ended up becoming, you know, almost I think the soundtrack became more famous than the movie itself. Like, I, I mean, in some ways because the, the soundtrack became so successful, but I, it's not really true because the other thing Garden State became famous for was when it first came out, it was very well reviewed. It did very well at festivals. And I think it was just an overall success. And people, it was like one of those great debuts. It was his first movie he'd ever written. Mm-hmm. And um, directed, yeah. And directed. And uh, he kind of, it seemed out of the blue, came from being sort of just a generic actor in shows to being like an auteur kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves that story of that kind of transformation. And it was a genuinely good movie. And then about 10 years after that, it seemed, or I can't remember how long, but people started really hating on the movie. Like there was a lot of think pieces about people turning on it and getting kind of thinking it's too, like not liking it again. And then after that, it turned around again. And then there was another, I, I just found all this out when I was Googling it just to, mm-hmm. Because there are so many articles about it, like more than most movies, like articles, think pieces about it. And then Mm. articles that were killing it. And then another article saying in defense of Garden State and Mm. quoting old articles and saying, well, now we know better. Like, anyway, it's, it's interesting that it's continued to be such a discussion topic. Well, I think uh, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, One of it being that it sort of kicked off this, type of genre sort of like the manic pixie girl thing has been a thing in movies for a long time yeah but this was a 
newer representation of what that's supposed to be. I think it really distilled it into Yeah, um, and also the type of movie, like this kind of like melancholy, um, you know, 20-something existential angst you know you're not an adult but you're not a child and you're trying to figure yourself out and you're in this weird place where you know you have friends who don't do anything and you have friends who are crazy successful on the other side but you're all in mentally all in exactly the same place and after this movie came out lots of movies came out like it and I think the hating started because people who hadn't seen it when it came out watched it and they're like this movie is a cliche and they're like no 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 no! all of these movies are based on this movie and and that's that's the problem and then it's come back around because people started making a defensive argument for the movie realizing that no this is the movie that started the genre all those cliches started here yeah, you know? it, the people that say it's cliche are completely ignoring its influence in creating the cliche, which exactly. became a cliche because, and it became a cliche just because I think it really resonated with people. It actually people felt it was very true. It was very, it, it spoke to them that whole ennui, that kind of listlessness when you're in your twenties, like you have ambitions, but you don't know quite how to get there. And it's harder to get there than you thought. And you don't want to do something that you don't like that whole yeah whole thing and And you're you're also comparing yourself to the people around you because like there's lots of scenes in the movie where he's like he's looking down at like peter sarsar's hair who's just like you're pathetic but at the same time he's not even looking up at his like genius friend who like created silent velcro but he's all just like oh my god you've like made money and you're like a success but then, you know, he does weird things like shoot flaming arrows up in the sky and, and try to, to run, run away from it, right? Because he's got nothing to <laughs> I do. I actually love the way that was shot <laughs> from the arrow's point of view when they're all kind of scrambling. <laughs> they don't know which way to go. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually based on real life. Zach Braff had a friend that shot arrows into the air for fun. But why? Ridiculous. Well, that's, so apparently, seventy like he said, like almost 75% of the movie really happened. So it's one of those movies that you write because it's in you right Mm -hmm. a lot of it was very true apparently a lot of it was very yeah i mean like so i've been listening to the podcast fake doctor's real friend him and uh, donald Faison, and like all the people from like scrubs and all that kind of stuff and he does he has talked about the making of this movie and writing it because he was doing scrubs while writing the script and trying to get funding to make, get it made and all and everything. And, and how it was kind of like a weird, hard job because when he got scrubs, you know, he like, he was, he was ready to give up almost, you know, give up is probably a strong word, but he was like, you know, he was still a waiter. He was still doing like that kind of thing, you know? And I think that, that's the point in his life he's written about here and and i as far as i know he didn't paralyze his mother and, and all that kind of no stuff. no I think he just he just wanted to put like some intrigue in there yeah um but all of the stuff like around it is is something that is that is real yeah, yeah. like like the, the restaurant was apparently very similar to the restaurant he worked at and mm-hmm. um yeah but i mean i think that's why it it comes off it feels kind of true because it, it was written 
you know, very specifically about his own life. So that kind of specificity does sort of feel universal because everybody has those types of feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's true. Like, you know, you you think about not him being like drugged out at a party and stuff, but those like, you know, bumping into like old friends and you, it's not that you don't know what to say, but you're just like, why are you still here? You know, that like, why haven't you moved on? Moved on, you know, and like, and like the one guy who's the cop, for example, hey. you know, <laughs> was just like he was he's obviously just an asshole. He didn't know what to do with himself. I'm going to give myself a little bit of authority and just be a dick about it. You know, but that's what he said, too. He says, ah, why did you become a cop? I don't know. There's not too much. I thought, you know, might as well do it. Like, he, yeah, I thought that yeah. was a funny scene. Though. He goes, how did I pull it off, though? Did, how did it? And he goes, well, I thought you were a jerk. It's <laughs> like, helped. perfect. Goes, yeah. That's great. <laughs> But but that that also shows like a real problem in society where you're like you're like my job as a cop is to come across like a jerk. You so know, you listen well, to me. You're just we like, know that now, though. We know that, like you know, with all the defund the police, like we now know that a lot of police precincts, like the whole culture, is very toxic and mm. very much like inwardly supporting, and they are kind of bullies. Like you can. It's we know that now, right? Just by all the way that they killed various people and didn't want to take responsibility, and they all tried to cover it up. Yeah, like, I feel like it's we we know that they're corrupt. So I thought that was an interesting little sly, like before all that is a national topic to have that in the movie. Yeah, to point it out, you know, yeah. like it's yeah, one little throwaway scene, but it, I thought it was quite well observed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, the thing about the the rich friend, I thought that was also sort of funny because he's like, oh, I've never been this bored in my life. But it's like he's doing nothing with his life. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, he's like, you know, supposed to be really rich. Um, and then his friend Mark is the, the grave digger that basically just steals and he's kind of a, a bit of a loser, but he seems fine with it. And he and the rich guy are kind of the same. Like they're sort of doing the same things. Same. Yeah. It, and it's true. It's like they're both just kind of hustling and wasting money is, yeah. is what they're doing. Like, because especially the rich guy, he's like, I bought a chair, I didn't want it. So I burned it. You're just like, but why? <laughs> like, you know, like you're you're rich now. You can do anything you want. And what you did was buy a chair and burn it. Because he has no ambition. And that's just the other thing, too. And I think that's something that I think some people feel about their hometowns, right? Like they got out and they sort of feel like, people that stayed in the hometowns are trapped and not really doing anything. And mm. I don't think that's really that fair. I mean, there's something to be said for staying with your hometown and keeping it vital by being a part of it so that mm. it, you know, it's not just a drain that everybody that can get out gets out for the time to survive. People do need to stay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I know a lot of people that have stayed in like my hometown or even moved back to my hometown after being in Toronto or somewhere else. And that's great, right? I mean, every city needs to survive and there's opportunities there. But the the perspective of this movie seemed to be like, um, like in a way he's looking down on those people because he's written them in a way that they're all kind of shiftless layabouts in a way, even though they're miserable, like they're miserable. Like, I agree. I don't think there's a problem staying in town. I don't think there's a problem with not having a specific ambition but if you're going to be somewhere why be miserable and exactly. like all of the people he presents are miserable they're in some miserable. way they're all trapped so it, it does sort of feel like they have 
there's not there's nowhere for them to go. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Natalie Portman for a second. So yeah. when I was researching, and it's interesting because one of the last episodes that I joined you for was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where we talked at length about the Manic Pixie. Um, Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yes, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl uh, <laughs> trope, because that applies there. And this is certainly one of the movies, Garden State, is one of the movies that is most closely associated with that word. Like, I think um, the movie Elizabethtown with Kirsten Dunst had come out just before it, and she was also considered a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. But mm-hmm. this movie was more successful, and I think this was the movie that most people thought about. Mm-hmm. When that and, and I agree, like, on this watching... I realized that, you know, you you get information about her to make you sympathize with her. Like she has yep. epilepsy. That's why she has a, a as a um a helmet in her bag, you know, or she lives at home with her mom. She wanted to be a skater at one point in time and now she's not. But you don't actually know anything about her. No. There's 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 nothing, there's very little information given about her. Like you don't know what kind of music she likes you don't know where she works even though they did mention something but she likes the shins yeah um you don't know uh like she mentioned something about working in a law office but didn't actually say she currently worked in that law office yeah so i don't know what's going on there but that's the whole point of the manic pixie dream girl thing is that they're kind of these um, almost flights of fancy, these crazy girls that draw out depressed men and help them improve their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Like they change the main, they're there to improve the male protagonist's life. Or and to be their like, dream, yeah. Yeah, but just to, it, it basically, they're always kickstarting them. They're kind of pulling them out of their comfort zone and doing crazy things and loosening them up and making the males like kind of laugh for the first time, or in this case, cry for the first time and like just come back to life, essentially. Mm-hmm. And like, so I feel like this movie is like the platonic ideal of the situation that we're talking about with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like that trope, right? Because she does all those things. Like she sings, like she does, she's odd, she's wacky. Like she does things like, sometimes when I feel like I'm not being unique enough, I just decide I have to do something very weird and unique just so that I know no one's ever done that before. And then she does this weird face in her room. Like it's a weird quirky thing for to be quirky, right? Yeah. Even the fact that like when she wanted to be a figure skater and they show and she's dressed head to toe in an alligator outfit. It's so funny. Like it's just like these funny like she's nothing but quirk and and emotion. And at the end, he says to her when he's breaking up with her, you changed my life. You changed my life. You helped me. Like it's literally the whole point of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like right there where, you know, you helped me. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was nice that at the very end, it looks like he's leaving and he comes back for her and like, who knows how it will work. But I mean, yeah. it's, it's nice that, you know, they end up together. Well, my biggest problem with her character are there for his first meeting and the end of the movie, which you both, you brought up both of these things here. She's the kind of person what, like that first scene you meet her, I would just roll my eyes and be like, can you just go over there? You're a lot. I'm not doing this. Um, She also says, I'm sorry. I know this is like a relatively new thing, but she says the word, forgive me, retarded, like 35 times in like a minute. And I'm like, can you just stop saying the word as well? And, but she's just so excessive in that scene 
that it drives me crazy. And everything after that is fine. And then at the end, though, that same scene you're talking about where he's like, you changed my life. But he makes her emotion about him as well. Yeah. And it frustrates me. It yeah. frustrates me so much. Like he he makes it seem like it's all about him while she's sitting there crying because she's also having an emotion. Well, because she's having a reaction to this be- this breakup, but yeah. it's all about him. But that's the problem with the trope, right? Because the character is not meant to have her own inner life or anything like that, right? Like the mm-hmm. Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a tool to help the, the hero. Like she's an appendage to help him. She's not supposed to be a character with her own wishes and dreams and future in her own right. And that's that's the problem I think with the trope because it yeah. reduces women to being just- Objects. That, an object, a tool, a helper for the male to to achieve whatever he needs to achieve, right? Yeah. But I think, and I think in this case, it, it sort of feels that way because she's so excessively wacky and crazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everything about her is just so crazy and free spirited. Um, she's a collection of quirks, but she is, you know, very likable. And like, she, she, you can see why he likes her obviously, cause she's charming. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sort of funny. Like, and I think that's one of the criticisms of the movie now after the fact because there were so many movies that tried to do this with this manic pixie dream girl or when it got written about as a thing like i think when this was made people weren't using that term and it was kind of applied retroactively and now people because people now feel like any trope is a bad thing it it unfortunately gets to be that this movie is just a cliche with a trope but it created that kind of archetype yeah which which takes it out of that box you know yeah. And it's not without its own problems, the fact mm-hmm. that she's only there to serve his needs. It's not like a fully rounded two-way relationship. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it very much is through his perspective. So I think that you can kind of take it as the whole movie, every character is there to serve him, not just her. Yeah. Like Mark and everybody, right? Everybody. And it's just because he's very focused on himself and the whole movie is about himself and about the fact that he feels nothing at the beginning. He's just so deadened and like at the end he feels more and I you know I would have to believe that if you're so depressed you feel nothing it's probably hard to even extend to try to think about what other people need do you know what I mean yeah. like he never asks what another character needs mm-hmm. it's all about his own journey well I think it, it has to do with all the drugs he was on that his father had been giving him since he was a kid for sure um and uh, but you see, you kind of see that progression through the movie because at the beginning of the movie, he really is just like an entity in spaces. Like literally they have shots where things just move around him. And then by the middle of the movie, he actually moves with that action. And then that last day that he's there with like um, with Peter Sarsgaard and uh, Natalie Portman, where they actually like do things together there's none of those scenes where things move around him. They're just all moving together and they're doing yeah. something. And, but, but that's why it makes the scene at the end more difficult because like it clearly shows that he has feelings now and he can empathize with other people's feelings. And it's almost like he chooses not to. Yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like he cares that she's weeping. Like he's kind of, reassuring her that he's okay Mm -hmm. but i do think that the end when he decides to get off the plane and he doesn't really know what he's doing 
but he just knows that he wants to be with her. That's sort of an acknowledgement that he's letting somebody else into his life. But if you notice, it's one of those scenes again when he's sitting on the plane where the world is moving around him. Therefore, he feels dead inside again. So his decision isn't to make her happy or to... No, it's still to make him happy. But I think he that... I think, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just optimistic. But I feel like he would have to learn to take her into account more. Yes, I, I agree. And, and but she I, to have asserted herself sometimes. Like when he made a joke at the funeral for her hamster, she said, that's not nice. Like yeah. she, she'll push back. Like she's got yeah. something to her. No, but, and it, yeah, it, it's true. Like, like, but, but that's uh, like, I don't know. Like I enjoyed watching the movie, but you can see... I guess I've just watched so many movies like this and just movies in general since then that you can see the amateurness in the film. Like yeah. you can, it's not that you think it's a, a first time filmmaker, but you're definitely like a person who's early in their career. And it's, it's got a little bit of that, like, you know, college thesis film, you know, this is my, this is my emotions. I put it on screen for you. Here you go. Kind of feel. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but because of some of the holes that come up in there, like she has crazy emotional shifts throughout the, the, the film at random times. And it's kind of, it's not off putting might be the wrong word, but it's very like, abrupt or something you're just like wait what is happening but he also has that kind of reaction in the film as well yeah um so i don't know how intentional it was supposed to be or how I like i kind of thought it was intentional just because like his main issue is the fact that because of his trauma with his mom and then the subsequent lifelong drug prescription like he feels nothing right like his whole thing is he's so deadened he feels no emotions he can't cry at a funeral he feels nothing and he meets this girl Natalie Portman who's just nothing she's like a raw nerve like she's so emotional like she reacts mm -hmm. to everything with pure joy or she immediately starts crying when she hears about his mom dying and he hasn't cried yet or mm -hmm. like I feel like that was sort of like she's the opposite like she's all emotion and you know, him choosing to sort of accept her shows that he's trying to get more of that. But do you think that abruptness and the change of her character is is more of his view of her? Or do you think that's how she actually is? Like, because he doesn't understand or doesn't feel emotion, do you think she's like, no, she could only be A or B? There's not like a, a thing in between. I don't know. I mean, I, I will admit, like when I watched her, when I watched it and seen like it, you know it is abrupt her her like she almost I I almost thought maybe she was going to reveal that she had some sort of mental issue of some mm -hmm. kind right like I would have believed her if she said she was bipolar because yeah. bipolar people have those large swings mm -hmm. um uh and it's possible that she is and they never get into it because he doesn't really ask too much about her like I mean it's possible that that's something that they thought about oh my god but that's true he doesn't it's, yeah. it's also possible though that it's just he just wrote her to be like this extremely emotional person and yeah I mean I don't know like I mean that's why partly I'm thinking it is so written from his perspective I do think everything is skewed through his lens so it's not necessarily the way things are it's just how he's perceived everything mm -hmm. um but I don't know I don't know I mean it, it's not narrated by him like 
so we're just supposed to take it as it's that it's happening as it's happening but because, yeah like face value yeah because that graph the actor writer direct producer has admitted that she's drawn so much out of it it's impossible not to kind of project it onto him as a person it, it's true it's it's really true um but i don't know like i was actually surprised i still liked this movie as much as i i did because of the earlier conversation we're having about how it's it's practically a trope now and uh you know manic extreme girl and all this kind of stuff and i was like this movie this movie's definitely aged badly you know uh because i definitely haven't watched this in probably five or six years easily something like that um and it's always been a movie that i've liked in some way and every time i watch it i get something slightly different out of it right um but as mentioned before i am also kind of a pessimist i'm not like a i'm not an optimist when it comes to things like this so now i'm starting to pick at all of the the relationshipy things in it and all that kind of stuff i'm just like you're a dick you know yeah. why didn't you ask her how her day was or yeah. you know he'd ask he doesn't he's told things about her by her her mother yeah ask anything about her he asked about like her brother for example like what do you mean that's your brother and she gives an explanation about it it's stuff like that that just i started i started picking up on it more i was just like but you don't you don't ask her questions you don't you know where she draws stuff out of him he's also closed off because he's kind of a snob right like he's now been in a show he lives in la he comes back he's you know, basically looking down on everybody, he wants to get out, he doesn't have any emotions. I, I, I think that comes through as well. Like, I don't think, like, he's quite flawed as a person. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. ask any of his friends really what they're doing, except in the most rote ways. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, and, and because he seems to have made it in their eyes, like, he likes to, uh, people ask him things, and he's not even that polite back. Like, he's very closed off. Like, he's kind of a jerk. Well, right? honestly, I think he's embarrasses is not maybe is the word like he seems embarrassed about the one thing that people know him from right because it's not yeah but at the the same time i thought it was funny like when he went to that party i thought you know everybody's being really nice like he's getting really accepted he's having a good time and then Mm. when they show him the next morning he's all passed out and he goes to the hospital and he had to take his shirt off and people have written all over his chest saying hollywood bitch and Yeah. Like, so I thought that was interesting to sort of show that people can be nice to your face, but they might have resentments that will come out in weird, immature ways. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. I thought um, it was pretty accurate, too. It was very accurate. Uh, I said that weird. No, it was really accurate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like, and I think that just kind of goes back to the like juvenile nature of the age group he's in, because I think he's supposed to be 26. Yes, And it's that like weird middle group, you know, and like they have money, they have, they're doing drugs, they're kissing, they're making out, you know, but at the same time, they're like, he fell asleep first, I'm going to draw a dick on his head. Like it's. Well, also though, they never left, right? They stayed in their hometown. So it's, I think there's something to be said for if, if all of your friends are your high school friends, Mm -hmm. the things that you used to do in high school probably are still things that you want to do yeah maybe that's maybe that's exactly what it is your whole world yet right you Mm -hmm. haven't done new things like when you make friend new friends in a work context you're not going to suggest really immature goofy things because you don't want them to think you're immature 
But when you're with people that you did immature things with your whole life, you're going to do them again, probably. Yeah, probably. And I'm kind of okay with that. That's fine. You need, yeah. you kind of need those people in your life. But at the same time with him, he moved away. He's, you know, grown and he's come back. And like you said, he's looking down on the people that are in this town who have not grown beyond, you know, these fences. Uh, and yeah, they, they are, I don't know, like, I guess I'm just repeating it because it, it, it's true. Like they're just like stuck. They're in arrested development. Let's put it that yeah. way. You know, they're, they're in that same space. Yeah. And I think he finds comfort in going there in some way because he hadn't been back for so long and it's sort of, things are familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Like he kind of feel more himself. But remember when he says to Natalie Portman that he feels safe with her, it feels like home with her, even though he doesn't, he's just, she's the one person he didn't know from before. Yeah. So I thought that was sort of interesting, right? Like she's a new person in his life, but feels like home because she gives him optimism. She gives him kind of more emotion. His friends are sort of like him in the sense that they're all kind of resigned to their fates in various ways and they're not very ambitious. But she, you know, seems to have, I don't know that she's ambitious, but she just seems to have more access to her emotions. Well, I think she just brings something else, you know, like when you have when you have the same thing over and over and over no matter how exciting it is you get dulled to it after a while right so when something new is brought in you're like excited again there's something yeah. interesting there's something to get your your blood boiling there's something to get your your brain you know like those wheels turning there's something else to look forward to yeah and i think that's what he's kind of getting at in there is like it's like everybody is the same. There's nothing new, even though I've been away for a long time. And yeah. now you're here and it's just like, you know, a little bit of extra spice going on in this in this uh, hometown soup kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I thought I've, I actually really enjoyed watching it because it's been so long. And I think part of my enjoyment was because it was very nostalgic, just like the setting and the music. Like it was just sort of fun to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I find whenever I watch any of these types of movies about people in their 20s and, you know, now that I'm older, like you kind of see things through a different lens kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you kind of know what's on the other side of all that youth. And it yeah. kind of, it's a different perspective and it's not, I, I almost can enjoy it more because it doesn't feel like it's speaking for me. You know what I mean? I can just enjoy it as characters going through their shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, when this movie first came out, like I was his age group, like that he was talking about. And so when this movie first came out, I was just like, oh my God, he understands. Like, yeah. He understands me. And now I watch it. I'm just like, you guys are just spouting a whole bunch of nonsense. Just, just fucking go. Just. And that's what I, I love <laughs> at the end. Totally the nonsense. Like that speech he makes at the end. I can't even remember what, like when he's breaking up with her and saying, it's not a period, it's an ellipsis. Mm-hmm. It's just an ellipsis. And I'm just going to, we have to do our own journeys. Like it was, and I remember just thinking, wow, this is the shittiest breakup speech I've ever heard. Like this poor girl is crying and you're giving her this sub rate philosophy speech. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Um, but then at the very end, when he comes back off the plane and, and goes to her, I like that he just says, oh, that whole, that was, that was bad. That was a, that was terrible. That was it was, and it was bad, you know. And it was bad. So yeah. I love that he recognized that it was bad. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those things where he was trying to not be the bad guy in some way. Yeah. And him just getting up and leaving when there's clearly a connection between her and he sees the the hurt in her and there's no plan. There is no indication of what's going to happen. There's no there's no nothing. He's just like, I just got to go. Yeah. And she's just like but what about this? He's like, but I got to go. That's literally all he's saying. Yeah. Um, and he's, he didn't actually say, I'm breaking up with you or, or this is over. No, but it, I mean, effectively, if he's going back to LA, like it's going yeah. to, right? So. I mean, but he could have been like, you know, when I get home, I'm going to give you a call and you can come out and visit or I'll come back or blah, 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 which he doesn't say. He's just like, I have to go. And I think that's the part that was most painful to her in that situation was like, I'm not ready to give this up. I can feel you're technically not ready, but you don't want to make an actual decision about anything. And so you're making a decision by just not making a decision leaving. Yeah, and and honestly, being making decisions is part of being an adult, and that's the thing he's trying to achieve, you know. So, I I also think though, I mean, on the other side, realistically, like he was there for a week. Oh, it was like four days. Four days. I mean, he had a very intense experience with her, and it, you know, I. But realistically, like in the real world, if you have a hookup and you hang out with someone for four days, you're not necessarily going to change your whole life for that person, right? So in some ways, him leaving her makes sense for a normal person, Mm -hmm. right? You wouldn't just not go back to your apartment or whatever. But I mean, in the context of this movie, he has nothing going on. He's looking for jobs. He has a horrible, sterile apartment. He has nothing to really talk to. So it does make more sense for him to take this chance because his life in LA I thought it was hilarious when they depict him in his bedroom it's everything is completely white like he just hasn't done anything got white sheets white walls you know (laughs) no dresser no nothing wear your clothes (laughs) (laughs) that actually I mean this is an aside but like it was one like I think that's like the second scene in the movie it's like very early scene in the movie and I I did think wow this is so mannered I mean this is I can't it's it's distracting me the set design because it's so obviously making a point and mm-hmm. it looks like ridiculous because nobody lives this way. But yeah, well, even the part where um where he goes to, and he's at his mother's wake and I don't know who she is like the aunt or whatever. It's like I made you a shirt and it's the same as like the wallpaper. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that is so like overly Quirky. done and overly yeah, like it just pulls you out of the movie because besides those two scenes like him waking up in the bedroom and that scene in the bathroom nothing else quirky like it's not Wes Anderson where you're like you expect the whole thing is supposed to be manicured in a certain way and this is what it's going to be you're just like oh just for fun here's put some quirky stuff you're like it's weird a lot of there there was a lot of quirky stuff though I mean like when he walks into her house and there's that massive hamster town Mm -hmm. there's the backyard and there's a whole hamster pet cemetery like I thought those were cute though I mean you know, it was definitely one of those things where everything is quirky. Everywhere he goes, it's kind of quirky. Well, I think it was supposed to be like a, a juxtaposition to his house because, like, as you could see, like with his father walking around and all that kind of stuff, there it was a very sterile house. Yeah. Whereas no her life. house, abundance of life. Yeah, abundance of life, and it was supposed to show him how things can be 
compared to what he has been used to, you know? And even the, the rich friend, I thought it was interesting because, you know, no furniture, nothing. He hasn't really built any kind of house for himself, like a home for himself. It's like he has no inner life. Um, but he just has parties all the time. He just has people all the time. So he, just, kind of he doesn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, like, no, I, the, sorry. I was just going to say on that rich friend, when I was like reading articles or whatever, originally that rich friend character was supposed to be a dot com millionaire, mm-hmm. but then the dot com, the dot com bubble burst just before he was about to make the movie. So he switched it to silent Velcro, like at the last minute, which I think <laughs> is much better it's much quirkier. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It it allows you to believe that this is not our world. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you can you can like you can like, yeah, 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 this is fine. What else? <laughs> um, is, do you know is silent Velcro an actual thing? I don't think so. I mean, that would be very cool if it was. I think it's just reusable glue like you know like different strength adhesives but they've never used it to the point where it's like a velcro substitute yeah but velcro is actually like a name brand it's not even it is now yeah yeah that's cool so wait i've just googled it and it says no is there silent velcro velcro's new unidirectional quiet closure product is a breakthrough for those critical (laughs) times where disengaging velcro closures has to be silent Quiet closure uses an, a unidirectional loop design that enables it to release quietly in one direction. There you go. Oh my it's god! Military. It's for military when you <laughs> have to be quiet. It's a real thing. Oh my god, that's amazing. For military, police, and hunters. Oh my god, that's hilarious. There you go. It's a real thing. <laughs> And they sell it Velcro wolf gray color now in stock. Interesting. I wonder why they only use it for like military stuff. Like, like is it just an ex- it's expensive to make? Maybe. Maybe it's probably like you have to do it in a certain way. Applications that are no brainers for this new product are military, law enforcement, and hunting belts, clothing, and pouches. I guess it's just because mostly people don't need silence. It's mm-hmm. not a big deal if people hear it or not, but it's true. I mean, my, my Velcro shoes, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, my daughter has Velcro shoes. Like a lot of her class has Velcro shoes because they're easier. They certainly don't need to be quiet, but <laughs> their classes are always so noisy. So <laughs> anyways, exactly. Yeah. Is there anything else? Mm. One, the last little tidbit of, trivia that I learned was that the movie was originally originally going to be called Large's Ark because his name is Largeman. Yeah. And um, it was going to be a Noah's Ark theme. And still throughout the movie, there's supposedly, you can see references to a Noah's Ark theme. But really the only scene that I feel really does that is when they visit the people, the people that live in a boat. Well, yeah. Literally that, that's all the only thing I can think of when, yeah. When you say that. But he said that there was supposed to be Noah's Ark references to the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And when he says that, it makes me wonder, why did he choose that? Like, what's the theme of Noah's Ark? Like, Noah's Ark is about Noah believing that God is telling him the truth when he is told to build an ark that everybody mocks him for because there's no rain. 
it makes no sense to build an ark, but he does it anyway because he's going on faith. And then his faith is rewarded because then there is a big flood and everybody else dies. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the lesson from that. And he also has story, to gather, he has to gather he has animals to together. Animals. But the lesson of that story is to do what you know or that you believe, even if people don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if that applies to this movie because he doesn't really go out on a limb. I mean, like like you're saying, the, the part where they go into the quarry and the guy's living on a boat, it's pouring rain. They're in a boat. That visually and looks they're, they're screaming into the, the abyss. Yes, it visually looks like it. But throughout the movie, it's not like he's collecting people or he's having faith in anything. Unless, no. Unless the thing is he's having faith in himself. That's why he didn't bring his pills with him. I don't, I don't know if that's what it is. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> I, I mean... I don't know. I find that that sounds. I'm I, glad he didn't do it. I'm glad he didn't do it. Yes. Cause I, I think that just sounds so high concept that making it would not work well. You no. know what I mean? I feel like the reviews would have been worse if people had expected there to have been some theme built into it. It would have seems. Yeah. Just, or... yeah. That's a, like when it comes to stuff like this, just put it out there and then, like you've read later on, you'd be like, oh, the theme was really this. And then you have a, an idea about it afterwards. Yeah. As it is, I think it works just as what it is, like sort of a snapshot of like the 20 something experience and not knowing what you're going to do, the aimlessness and mm -hmm. the freeing feeling of finding a romantic partner. Just, I, I don't think it's anything deeper than that. I think it's just a snapshot of life at that stage of life. Yeah, and in the early two thousands, for sure, for it is, sure. it is, it is very. I find it very time period specific. Yeah, for sure it is. Yeah, and I, what did he do after this? Like, I don't recall. I'm just gonna look it up right now. Well, he was still doing Scrubs, um, writing and directing. Like he did Garden State, and then what did he do? Wish I Was Here. That was his next movie, which I never saw. I have never seen that one either. Oh, that's a that's a ten year difference, though. And listen to the description. It's a struggling actor, father, and husband finds himself at a major crossroads, which forces him to examine his life, his family, and his career. Like, so, really yeah, he's writing about himself. Lot, <laughs> yeah, but you now he's got a wife and kids. I mean, so that makes sense. That that's the kind of observational. Yeah. Then he did. Oh no, he was just a director of that one. Going in style. I don't even know what that is. It's just it's Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin. Oh, that's like a remake of a George Burns movie where it's like three old guys doing something. Oh. Interesting. And one episode of Ted Lasso, a series I have not yet watched, but everybody says is really great. I do want to watch Ted Lasso, but I do not have Apple Plus. So I will not be watching Ted Lasso. No. We'll we have Apple Plus, and there's not that much on it. But we watched this show called Servant, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And The Morning Show. And not much else. I don't know why we have it. We just got it and then never got rid of it. That's what tends to happen. You're just like, you forget about it. You forget to cancel it. And then you're just like, oh, I'm charged. I better keep it. And then. Yeah. And then occasionally but... <laughs> remember to watch something. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem with all of these like automatic services. You're just, they just keep going. 
just I feel can't. like with the pandemic though, I liked having all these options because we can't really go out anymore right now. Like, so we're just watching more TV. Yes. Yeah. I am everything. absorbing a lot of content, but I realized lately I've been watching like rewatching content that I don't have to pay attention to. You know? I definitely do that too sometimes because like sometimes you just want to shut your brain off entirely just to mm. try to sleep or whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, eh. The one I started rewatching <laughs> for some reason is Castle. It was like the detective show with Nathan Fillion. And- oh, I watched, you don't have to tell me about Castle. I watched so much Castle. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else watched it. I used to like, cause I remember when it came on, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And Tommy was like, oh, you really like Castle? Do you want to watch Matlock too? And he was all like <laughs> that. But I just thought it's cute. I like it. I always like these sort of comedy detective shows. And, yeah. and you know, I never watched it since it was on like, what, 10 years ago now? I can't even remember, but it's like- it's been um, a while. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, and I've been watching it, and it's. I think it holds up. I think it's pretty good. It's light. It's pretty. Uh, the, the only thing I notice is there's a lot of lines in it that would not hold up now. Like, like they're so homophobic. Like in one episode, they're looking at like whether somebody might be gay or something, and then all the cops are, oh, are you looking at me that way? Or like you know, for laughs. Uh, yeah, it happen now, and uh, like it's all very. Or if someone is wearing makeup or something, like even the female, like, what, Castle? Are you going to do that? Like, anything that's not macho is totally mocked. Yeah, throughout the whole thing, yeah. yeah. It, it's true, now that, now that I think about it. Because there's, I know there's a couple episodes where, um, I forget which one it is. One of them's dating somebody who's doing, like, nice things for, like, cooking her dinner and buying her flowers and all that kind of stuff. And the partner was making fun of him for it. Yes, well, that, that happens all the way through, like, because he's yeah. like, you're so whipped. You're so whipped. But, and it's yeah. all this, yeah. It was es- Esposito was making fun of Ryan. There you yes. go. That, and that continues through most. Yeah, throughout the whole thing. I actually did, like, the first, like, three seasons, I want to say, I really liked. But then they got into, like, a whole conspiracy theory yeah. thing. And then she was, like, in the FBI. And you're just like, you're just throwing shit out there. This You can just, you can, yeah. This is the problem <laughs> with long-running series. Because, like, it's every show. Like, it starts off with a good premise. Like, nice, like, episodic Monster of the Week, Crime of the Week kind of shows and good chemistry. But then, mm-hmm. inevitably, they always want more. So they end up developing, like, mythologies. And then you end up with, like, the X-Files, right? Where yeah. Exiles had Monster of the Week, and then they had the sort of overarching mythology, and then the mythologists took over. No, but I think I, I can't talk about. I, I'm, I'm going to get too deep into X Files if I start talking about X Files right now. It's, it's a lot. Uh, well, because the th- the thing with X Files is that the mythology starts the show, so you know the show is going to have a mythology right away, right? That's the whole, like, the, the first episode of the show is all mythology. And actually, I think it's one of the best pilot episodes of a show ever. Like, I legitimately think so. And this is for a show, like, the pilot episode of this show, I didn't watch originally. And, of course, the show was on when you couldn't stream it somewhere. So you had to wait till it came back on. Some, so it was, like, a good year, year and a half before I saw that pilot episode. And I sat there going, wait, that's the pilot episode? That's not the pilot, that can't be the pilot episode. I have to be like four episodes in or five episodes in or something. And, but no, it's like really, really good. Um, but the thing is, is, as the show went on, 
they lost the mythology because they solved everything, but they kept the show going. So then they had to bring in this extra stuff that just didn't make any sense. And you're just like, why is this here? Oh, the Black News was early. Okay. Yeah, that stuff was early. I actually watched the entire series and I remember, I just, I didn't find the mythology stuff very satisfying, but. I loved, I liked it. I liked all of it. But the problem with the mythology stuff is that it will, none of the mythology stuff ever shows up on best of lists because you can't watch one mythology episode unless it's the pilot. You have to watch five episodes to understand this one episode. And I think that's the biggest problem with it. Yeah. I mean, we could. T- I mean, I don't know if you ever watched the show Supernatural, but I started watching that show just this past year during the pandemic. Yeah, because Alex has always talked about it as such a big fan, and all the seasons were on Amazon Prime. And you know, I was like casting about looking for something mm-hmm. that was not interesting. I had so many shows that I felt I was supposed to watch, but sometimes you don't want to watch these shows that you're supposed to watch. You just want to watch something that you know you might enjoy yeah um, and i remember i was always a big fan of the x-files and this is like two hot guys in an x-files or whatever <laughs> yeah i couldn't believe i'd never watched it before <laughs> anyway so i started watching it and i was like texting her quite a bit about it and uh, um it's a really fun show it's a very um, fun show yeah it goes through the same kind of arc though like the first couple of seasons are just tons of monster of the week um it, obviously i could tell that they were going to revisit the whole mom going up in flames, the mystery, there was going to be some mythology there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually it became very mythology-ish. Yes. But, but it never lost the, the plot entirely. They always seem to bring it back to a few monstery things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty good. I think I might even like it better. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Supernatural. Like, I, I've always liked it. But it was one of those shows I was very on and off about. Like, when it first started, I didn't watch it. Then I watched, like, three seasons. And I didn't watch one season. Then I watched a couple of seasons. Like, it was just, like, a back and forth. Right. And it was the premise of the show and the monsters of the week were enough that I didn't have to know all of that stuff that came before it to understand. Right, you did. And that's kind of what I liked about it i didn't have to to watch like oh no you missed last season no you would to understand this you need to watch these 12 episodes you know i didn't have to worry about that part of it well the story does have things that if you didn't see uh, like i think the first five seasons though are kind of like one big self-contained story because i watched all five seasons almost all at once (laughs) I just I burned through them so quickly because I was really enjoying it and it was just like whenever I had some time to watch some tv on my own I would just burn through a few episodes and I just did that a lot yeah and it was really great to watch that way because like they do lead into each other and then they set up like angels and demons and whatnot and Lucifer's coming back and they want to set off the apocalypse and all this stuff's happening so there were episodes that were pure mythology and I, I, I am like three or four season three or season four that I feel like if you stumbled on one of those episodes you would not know what was going on because they were okay. talking about all these people that died or this person that sacrificed or this person that this and that like you would need to know mm-hmm. and then towards the end of season five it really wraps up this whole plot but then I'm now in season six and they're basically starting from square one like the entire battle starts over happening is sort of over mm-hmm. so now that it's like starting with a new bad guy. Yep. And uh, I can tell that they're not quite there yet. Like it's kind of all over the place right now. Yeah. Like they do definitely like flounder a little bit. Like, cause I think 
I think it was season seven and eight I didn't watch. And then season nine, uh, there was like a, oh, the show might get canceled. And so then I was like, oh, I got to watch the last season. Um, and then I was like, oh, you guys are killing it this season. This is amazing. But then, yeah, there were there was a lot of episodes and I was like, shit, I got to go back to the last season and right. figure out who they're talking about here. Or, or like, or, you know, when like a demon walks in and they're like, oh, and like I don't know who that is. I yeah, don't, I don't know who. who yeah, they have a lot of cameos of past people. Also, yeah, I feel like so. I mean, I've been talking to Alex a lot about it as I've been watching it through. But um, she did tell me that it gets a little like she said that the original run was designed to be one to five, and then he was going to end the show, and that makes perfect sense to me because the end of season five does look like a series finale. Like it's, it looks yeah. like just over. And if it had ended there, I think it would have been actually fine. I'm glad okay. they didn't. But then I could tell season six is basically brand new everything mm. and she says it does get better but it's a little floundery and it is a little floundery right now but. yeah i that's one of the shows i probably should go back and watch i um, think you but... would like it knowing what i know about your taste like i feel mm. like if you watch it all the way through i think you would really like it because it's like i know i like the show i like the characters i like uh like even the final season that showed ended no, last don't year I don't, I, i've actually i've Okay, I don't know if you were going to say anything, but no, 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 I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. But like, even though I hadn't, I hadn't watched, I hadn't watched season thirteen or fourteen, but because of my knowledge of the characters already, uh, it was easy for me to get into and watch. But it was done in such a way that it had it renewed my interest in watching the show again. You know what I mean? Well, you should go back and start it. Yeah, because there are a lot of, like, holes in my knowledge of the show. And, like, I brought this up on the Christmas episode because one of the episodes that were picked uh, was a Supernatural episode that I had never seen before. And I was like, oh, this explains so much, like, just watching that episode. Right. And I was like, I probably need to rewatch that. But then again, 15 seasons of... Like these are long seasons as well of shows. I'm like, I don't know if I can take on such like a heavy. It's funny. Know, <laughs> that's exactly why I wanted to do it because I had just finished. I can't remember what I was watching, but I had just watched something. I really enjoyed it. And then I was, I just wanted another series that I was really into that I didn't worry was going to run out because mm-hmm. a lot of the shows I like are like those British sort of crime shows. There's only six episodes a season or whatever. And they yeah. have seasons or like I burned through all so many shows and I was looking for a show that would just sustain for quite a while yeah. right so the fact that there are so many episodes per season and so many seasons actually it was a plus for me during the pandemic because I just felt really luxuriously I didn't have to worry about not you know sometimes you like a show so much you kind of want to space it out you don't want to burn through it too quickly yeah you kind of almost like oh I want to watch another but I'm going to save it because I'm almost done right I didn't have that feeling with Supernatural because it was like I'm never going to get through this. It's like, <laughs> there's so much. So I could just like forge myself yeah. and watch it. And I liked that about it. And it's really, it was, anyway, I have kind of taken a step away from it. Like I, I got to a point where it's like, everywhere I look, I just imagine people were killing each other. Cause like, like people kill like, so much on the show. Right. Yeah. And, Are you a demon? Wait. Yeah. Like so gradually killing people in different ways. And I just thought, I have to stop imagine everybody is going to kill me or I should like I I I just so I started just watching fluffier things I mean it's fluffy Mm -hmm. but like 
non-violent fluffy things. Those things, yeah. Yeah, no. that's that's the thing. There's a I I find myself like angling that way as well where I don't I don't want things that are op- overly oppressive or overly violent. You know, I want things that are that make me feel good, you know? Like they can have substance to it. Yes. Like it doesn't have to be pure fluff, but just something that, you know, when I finish watching I'm like I feel pretty good right now. I think yeah. everything's fine. Yeah. Have you watched yeah. WandaVision? Yes, I have. It's so good. <laughs> it's very I good. I can't believe how good it is. Honestly, I think it's one of the best shows I've seen in a long time because I just love the way they've been teasing it out. And every episode, I feel like each sitcom episode, especially the early ones, could have stood on their own as an actual episode of one of a new show. Oh, yes. A new old show. Because it was genuinely well-written, very funny. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was like the dark shadings and you don't know what's happening, then I, I just think it's so good. Like, I, I'm so intrigued about what's happening. Well, one thing I like about the show is that, A, they're not hour long episodes. They're shorter, even though the next apparently the next three episodes are going to be hour long episodes. I'm but, actually happy with that because I feel like I want more every time they're up. You, yeah. Um, but uh, one thing I like about it is the fact that they don't waste screen time. Yeah, they don't do it. There's not there's not a lot of just like sitting around and doing something like even if there's a scene that's quiet or you're just getting someone's emotion, there's a reason that it's there. Or even if it's not in the foreground, the thing is in the background, like there's a real reason for that thing to be there. And I really like that aspect of the show. I agree. I think it's so well made, so well produced. It's like I find all these Marvel things like so well constructed that they have plot points that they know are going to pay off in a movie five years later, mm-hmm. but well, it doesn't make it confusing when you're watching it now. But then yeah. when you watch it later, it really comes to light. You know, I feel like those types of details that takes mm-hmm. long-term planning that takes a lot of, yeah, a lot of moving parts to get right. And they really, I think for the most part done it. Yeah. And I think that goes back to them going through their own comic books and how like, because you can have storylines in a comic book that is that are years long and building for years and, you know, integrated into like six different comics that come together into one and, you know, different plot points here, there and everywhere. And the thing that was risky when Marvel first started this endeavor was they didn't know if this kind of mentality would translate to screen and their gamble really, really worked because they paid attention to the details. They paid attention to, uh, they, it's not even just fan service they put out there. They also made it in such a way that people who weren't into comic books can easily pick up on it. I've never read, I've never been a fan of comic books. Like Mm -hmm. I did watch all the Marvel movies. Also, I watched them all the Marvel movies. Um, in their timeline chronological order because of the pandemic and I hadn't even seen all of them. And so I just watched them all together and that made me more interested to see. Wait, sorry, when you say chronological order, do you mean- Not not the order of release, like the chronological timeline order of the show. Gotcha. So like first episode, first Avenger, Captain America, second episode, Captain Marvel. Yeah. But I found that like, that was a good example in terms of how well they planned it because you know, the, first Captain America movie, the first event, Captain America, the first adventure, like it came out, what, how many years ago was that? Like 10 years ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, And then the next movie in the chronological timeline, though, was Captain Marvel, which just came out like two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. 
Like that's a huge leap of movies in the meantime for them to make a sequel, like a movie that actually t- picks up the timeline from way back. Well, I think it's it's how they the reason why they put Captain Marvel where they put Captain Marvel was because there was nothing done in between First Avenger and what would have been what's after. Well, technically, it would be um, Guardians of the Galaxy, wouldn't it? Because you have to start where Quill gets kidnapped from Earth, and that's also in the 80s. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe. They don't really. That movie in the list I had didn't show up until later. Till later? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what that chronological order would be. But they had like a big gap in their storytelling between a First Avenger and like the Avengers series, like like um, like the first chapter in this whole Avengers thing, right? And they could drop it in there because nobody had backgrounds really, except for Captain America. Right. And because even like Nick Fury's like, he's the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. You're like, okay, how did he get there? Nobody knows. They didn't, they didn't bring that into the story. But I mean, if they had made Captain Marvel second, then you would have just been introduced to Nick Fury then and then you mm. would have gotten to know it later yeah and i think they also would have put much more there there would have been additional details in captain and captain marvel um to connect it better with the other yeah. stuff yeah she's kind of ignored the entire time like one thing that's weird is that she's there in that second movie of the timeline and then she's completely not mentioned at all until they need her again at the end right like, yes so that is a bit of a weird thing that no one would ever mention. What about Captain Marvel? Why don't you call Captain Marvel? We're getting polarized here. Like, I mean, you know. Well, they- technically, nobody knew about Captain Marvel until Sam right. Jackson called for her. But he knew about her, and he, he kept that her. little walkie-talkie thing until the very end of, like, he kept it to the last moment, basically. He did, yes. Yes, he did. Agreed. But, I mean, it's fine. I, th- I thought it was, but... Um, when I was watching WandaVision, I was, you know, reading articles about it. And one writer, I can't remember which one it was to give credit to this idea, but um, they basically said that WandaVision, the series is so good. It makes Avengers Age of Ultron a better movie. Cause I think everyone agrees that that's not a very good movie mm. compared to the other ones. Like it's the weakest Avengers movie, but yeah, lot, critically it is, but I mean, I think it was fine, mm. but um this writer was saying that it essentially now can be seen as a Wanda origin story because it's kind of like WandaVision refers to that movie so much because like so much that happened there never gets talked about again. Like when her brother Pietro Quicksilver or whatever gets killed in that movie, he's never mentioned again in any other movies. And she's yeah, no, not directly. Yeah. Never. She's never really like, she's such a minor character. We just assume she's grieved off screen or whatever, right? But now that WandaVision is here and she's the central character, they can talk about him again and they can talk about her reaction to what happened then. And, and see how much it hurt her and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, yeah. That's making, it kind of, watching WandaVision makes me want to go back and watch Age of Ultron again. Mm-hmm. Just to remember what happened. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Like, actually, the funny thing is, is like every time I think about it, like you did, you watched all of the Marvel movies. I was like, I should sit and go through all of these Marvel movies and just watch all of them. Yeah. Like either in release order or chronological order, I hadn't decided yet. And I had thought about this, like, so 
being at home started in March last year. And I was like, it was like July or something. I'm like, why didn't I do this already? And then I was like, oh, it's going to be over soon. And then I didn't do it. <laughs> and then I was just like, but it's Christmas. And then I was busy at Christmas and stuff. And, and so then I was like, oh, I should really sit down and do this. And then I still didn't get to do it. And now we're all the way in February and I still haven't done it. And I really just need to sit down and watch the movies. It's, they're really good movies. Like I actually really enjoy doing it. I, I did it with a friend. Like I, I called a friend and said, you know, I'm thinking of watching all the Marvel movies in their chronological order. Do you feel like doing it with me? And so we would do that sort of simultaneous watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of fun. Like we yeah. didn't, well, no, 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 that was a different thing. We didn't do the simultaneous. We would just watch them on our own and then we would talk about it. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think we would do a, a watch together, but a lot of the time we just sort of watched it and then we would chat about it. Well, and I, and I, and I think that's the thing with the Marvel movies for me is that they get my attention to the point where I'd be like, Shh, I've seen this 20 times, but be quiet. This is a good part. It's a good part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, be one of those things. And I think, I think the Avengers movies are really well done, like just melding all of the personalities together and giving them screen time and giving them relationships with each other and mm-hmm. good lines. Like, I think it's a very good, it's a very well done series. It is. It's it's awesome. And the fact that they've, what is it, 22 films or something altogether, plus a TV show, well, yeah, two TV shows now. Momentum and, like, all of them were successful. Like, you know, most franchises, they start to peter out. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's because this, it doesn't focus on one person, right? It's not 20 movies about Captain America. It's not right. 20 movies about Iron Man. It's a bunch of it's five movies you get introduced to this person this person this person this person this person and then we have a movie of them together and then we go on more adventures you know so it's not so yeah. so like, specific it's varied yeah yeah it's true um so we've got way off topic right? yeah yeah we did but i mean this is this is what happens during a like you know you're trapped at home you i'm not talking to that many people and i'm like i'm watching films and movies i'm like what are you doing to fill your time and then i just we just ramble on for a little i know it's great it's been fun talking to you like we've been out talking for over three hours straight (laughs) (laughs) i'm okay with it yes Uh, well, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for having me. It's super fun talking to you. And yeah. Uh, yeah. You tend to pick some great episodes to talk about. So maybe maybe that's what it is. You've got good movie taste. Thank we'll you. Yes. Well, they're your movies, so you have good taste. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Oh My Shelf, or you can send an email to ohmyshelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be talking about the odd combination of films Get Shorty and Ghost World. Hope you'll be here to listen.